0: Every success builds on failure, right? I think that's just inherited in new stuff.
1: Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development as businesses aim for long-term success. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sofian CTO. If you're looking for additional information around new product development or corporate innovation, Sign up for Sofian's newsletter, where we share news and industry best practices monthly. The fastest way to do this is to go to sofian.com, that's S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com and click the sign up and stay informed box. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. It's my pleasure today to bring another guest to you. Formal name is Hans Christian Eppich, but he prefers to go by H-C. H.C. has a background as a product manager for knowledge management solutions where he worked with several renowned research institutes in German-speaking countries, including Fraunhofer, Steinbeis, and the German Research Center for Artificial Intelligence, known as DFKI, to look at methods to apply artificial intelligence in knowledge management. He served as chairman of manufacturing solutions for Jan Bond, where he was responsible for enabling companies with agile business processes and comprehensive analytics to allow faster decision making in a volatile world. HC has more than 20 years experience with solutions for knowledge and decision intensive business processes. Today, he focuses on aligning strategic initiatives with operational excellence, still building on that foundation of knowledge management principles that he began with. His current role is business development director for Sofion. That allows him to speak with companies across various industries about how to future-proof their current portfolios and achieve more revenue with new business. Welcome to the show, HC.
0: Yeah, Paul, hey, thank you. That was a superb introduction. I just wish you would have let out the 20 years experience because, you know, I can feel my joints cranking when you say that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I hope you're doing well, H.C. It's a pleasure to speak to you again.
0: No, I'm fine. Thank you. I, I hope you're you're doing well as, as well.
1: I am. And you're coming to us from southern Germany. Tell us where you are.
0: Yeah, that's right. I'm located and living, and I was born and raised, actually. I'm still living in, in the southern part of Germany, just near Stuttgart in Ludwigsburg. It's what we call auto country. So Mercedes, Porsche, but also Bosch, Mahle, Mannenhammel, These companies all come from here, and every other of my friends works either at the Daimler or the Bosch.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think worldwide we know and appreciate the German automobile industry. It's been a fantastic industry. (laughs) So, H.C., you have a really great background. How did you first get involved in innovation and new product development?
0: That was an interesting story. We had a software company located right here that was very successful with IT services, and they they wanted and and uh, they wanted to come up with a product approach. So they they founded a new division for knowledge management, and that was back in the last century millennium. <laughs> now <laughs> and now you make yourself feel old. <laughs> yeah, sorry for that, uh, but it but it really was so. And the founder of the company, Udo strehl he thought knowledge management, knowledge management would be the next big thing at that time. And, and that, was, that was the right direction to go. So he founded that new division and he hired me to basically come up with a vision and start from scratch. I've originally been a sales guy and I actually had applied for a sa- for a sales job at that company. But when, when we met, he said, nah, you, you can actually help me get things going. I need someone that can explain difficult things. I need someone that can provide a vision. I need a, a passionate guy that is something like an evangelist around that. But he gave me the opportunity to actually go through all the other departments of the company for like a month or so and see what what is their status, how do they work, what is the, the attitude. And, and it became apparent that even in the IT services that they provide, right, it, the reuse of knowledge would provide great value. So the idea was first to develop an internal tool and then make it, make it in a way so that we could resell it to the market. Once it has proven to provide value internally, we figured that a lot of other customers also from the auto industry would be helped with great value from that. And that's that's how I got involved in that. And we actually we stirred up the, the knowledge management community pretty good at that time. We you know published a book and did some great work with renowned companies from, from the auto world, of course. So that was my my first touch. We collaborated with DFKI, as you said, with Fraunhofer, Steinbeis, with other universities, to see how we could apply ontologies and use ontologies to help people rediscover knowledge that has been not not discovered, but that they worked through already. So experiences and lessons learned and, and all what you have, right, how to approach different situations. And it's all there in documents, but no one can access it. Okay, well, that, that felt very much the same, although.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, sounds really familiar to many of today's challenges. So, uh, you yeah, know, that's, that's been a great journey uh, since then to where you are now. Tell me about a success story you had along the way.
0: Yeah, so first of all, the first success was actually to get it going internally at that company, but we. Probably we, <laughs> every success builds on failure, right? <laughs> I think that's just inherited in new stuff, right? So we built that product, but we built it on Lotus Notes at the time, which was 20 years ago, was a great application, right? Everyone had it. Tons of Lotus Notes databases were around everywhere. So that was a, a technology we, we built it internally on, and it, it was ready to fly. It was working internally, but actually distributed to, to other to customers we needed to change the technology and we have we had to rebuild it to make it addressable through a browser so even at that time netscape so when we approached companies for for the initial use we looked around our our customers of course but funny enough after doing a a proof of concept with here and there and and different smaller family-owned companies We ran into a big auto manufacturer, not sure if I can name them, but they're still one of the biggest. And for their quality assurance, they said a product like what we call it knowledge miner that would help them through topic maps, ontologies to access existing knowledge experiences that would help them speed up the process to find solutions or even become better in quality. And we sold that to them and it was a multi-million dollar deal. It was the biggest deal that software company had until then. So that was a, a big success. And we were lucky because it, it was just before a real bad crisis hit. After 9-11, the, the, the industry was dead almost, right? No one would invest in knowledge management, right. which was seen as nice to have then. But after 9-11, nothing, uh, nothing was going there. So, And we had just concluded that project. Which was great, and later we learned that the car manufacturer was able to get rid of how do you say failures in in the manufacturing process, yeah. to glitches in the manufacturing process. They could actually cut the time in half, so they saved fifty percent of the of the failure elimination process. That's which, substantial. Yeah, yeah, that was a super success. I mean, at it, at that time, you know. Part of the success was really to re-engineer the whole business process of addressing this because they had so many systems and data got synchronized. I'm sure you know all these, <laughs> all these things from the time which today they don't occur anymore. But at that time, uh, data got synchronized overnight and it, uh, they had significant lag just because of the synchronization of the data. And we could get rid of all of that. So we could really uh, speed up the process significantly and it uh, saved tons of money.
1: What a great story! And it's it's pretty similar. It's surprising we've not had this conversation. Very similar to uh, early days of of Sophion when we were focused on knowledge management and what happened with the the financial crisis and the dot com bust and things like that and the shift away from pure technology over to applications. So it's I, I I really find it fascinating. Very similar background. Of course, we never. We never had a solution like you did until after afterwards when we first came out with Accolade. But very, very interesting background. Thanks for sharing that.
0: Yeah, you know, just uh, we the two of us, we never had that conversation. But when I first met Hoop, right, the, the co-founder of Sofion, when I first met him, and there was no better place than because Hüb and I, we met in a brewery in Munich. <laughs> 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 and, and so, after a beer or two—probably more two than one—we <laughs> exchanged all kind of of stories. And so, I knew there was a, a perfect fit between what Sofen was built on and the experiences and my background. So that's how I came on board. Actually,
1: yeah, very nice, very nice. Well, HC, you've you've worked across a lot of companies uh, since then, and and even recently, you you work with both executives and innovation workers, knowledge workers. So you're you're kind of at the all levels of companies I know you you engage at. What's a top challenge that you're seeing today?
0: There's multiple, right? There's a multiverse of- Yeah, things. sure. Like, of course, you could, you could go uh, budget constraints or technology or, or methodologies that are applied wrongly or with the wrong objective in mind. But the top thing that anyone could actually change the top issue is really decision-making. I think, so what I see uh, at large customers, and maybe I, I need to explain a little bit, so I work with large customers like, like BASF, Merck, Hauser, uh, Linde, uh, Ebonic, all great stuff, Infineon, right? And I, as you said, I, I engage with the head of R&D, the head of portfolio management, but also with the researcher that, that actually does a project. And so the very often what I see and and common thing is, the common denominator if you want, is in a lot of companies, the management is actually afraid to take hard decisions on a portfolio level of projects. Everybody is looking at a project and then they have KPIs in place. Does that project meet the KPIs to approve the next round of funding? Yes. Uh, And (laughs) if every project meets those KPIs, right? Then, what they don't realize is they're going to run out of money and they're going to run out of resources and they're going to slow down the whole pipeline, the whole work. Everything is slow. And and that's typically slowed down by management that is being afraid, taking hard decisions, asking hard questions, and then saying, you know, we have like five projects, but we're only going to fund like two. So we need to make a decision which of the three projects that all met the criteria to receive funding, but which of the three of the five projects, which three do we not fund because we prefer two others, right? So yeah. that decision-making, anybody could change that. It's an it's a attitude thing, responsibility, maybe a cultural thing. We, in Germany, we have this constant culture. But it's that's the main topic that slows down product development.
1: Very interesting. Yeah, uh, I, I can imagine a team of people working on a project, they're motivated to look great, right. right? To get it done, to do it well. And it's probably hard to say, okay, you have to stop. So sorry guys, you're doing a great job, but we're gonna stop it. That's not an easy decision to make. What are some of the techniques that you think companies should look at in order to to try to? get to being able to make these kind of better business decisions?
0: That's a good question. I think, first of all, most companies that I work with, they have applied some sort of a stage gate system, even if they don't call it, but it's just it's just a regular, applied, common knowledge that you would slice your investment and your risk, and then you would have decision points where you, you actually make the decision uh, to move forward or not, right? And, and what most companies have not figured out yet is, that there is a project level and then there needs to be a portfolio level. So, one of the methodologies my my good friend Bob Cooper, sure you you know him, right? Yes, we do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. We do. Bob always says his top message to to senior management is learn to drown some puppies. And no one wants to do that, right? But learn to drown some puppies. That's actually that's the hard decision making you need to have on portfolio management that will accelerate your time to market dramatically because with every project that you stop you set free resources and you you help people to focus on the chosen projects that actually support your strategy right and that, that is, I think, the the most crucial one that I've seen. It's also not depending on any software or different methodology or, you know, you don't need to have become agile. Agile is, in for many companies, agile is just another way of avoiding hard decision making on the planning level. That's, that's a different story, maybe.
1: Yeah. well I could tell you that just a little aside that Bob Cooper also refers to you as a good friend so so there you go he'll say my my good friend HC epic over there in Germany uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah we if everything goes our way like we meet like twice a year right yeah, that's so that that's, and we always have great fun
1: yeah well, you know, if thinking about this ability to make decisions, are you seeing differences between, let's say, large companies or complex companies and maybe smaller or simpler? Or is that even a fair question to ask?
0: So the in, in Germany, Germany's economy is famous for having this strong middle this small, medium size, family owned, mostly family owned companies. The Mittelstand is the driving force in Germany's economy, which is right uh, one of the strongest economies in the world. So what I see in the Mittelstand, and that's comprising companies between like 500, 1500 people until maybe like 15,000 people. So every everybody's considering themselves were part of the Mittelstand, so in the small, medium enterprise business. And what I see is that, that while many years ago, like, like. 15, 12, 15 years ago, the complexity of the large enterprises where they were having production and research facilities globally distributed and they were managed, centrally managed, but they were distributed all over the world and they would source locally and and they would need to adhere to regulations everywhere in the world and on different markets. That complexity that came with a global enterprise, these levels... Now the middle stunt has reached these levels of complexity because today you, you can go to, to any almost any shop around the, the corner and not really, but any family owned business that is sourcing and selling and their sourcing will be global. So their suppliers will all be global. So you have to have some somebody in place that can manage that and their sales force, or they, they will be selling globally, so they need the channels of distribution or sales force that's globally. And their manufacturing is typically, the value chain is distributed all over the world. So the, the complexity that we have seen 15 years ago with large enterprises, is has now reached the middle stand. And I think what I, what I see is that the, the management of these family-owned businesses very often they're not aware what this means. So how to react to that? They just move on as they're still being a local force instead of trying to become a global force.
1: Yeah, that's. Uh, example, you see yeah, that. that that must that must because the Mittelstand is so mighty, it's so strong in Germany. That's really must be putting a lot of pressure in those companies or across even the entire country right because it's going to have to get that right to keep that to keep that strength in that the middle stand
0: yeah yeah one of the challenges is of course to source the educated people that you need right the, the german engineers so the, the educational system is feeding into that middle stand into that engine of the economy and that that's part of it also the 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 people that you work with are now you need to source globally right so the time where you could go to bsf in in ludwigshafen and maybe like 30000 german local people would work there that has is long gone right if now if you go to bsf in ludwigshafen you will meet people from all, all over the world from china from india from everywhere and that that is also something that the middle stand still needs to adapt to right you need to become more global even in your local production and and research facilities
1: yeah if we think about i'm going to circle back to where you kind of started with decision making and and you know those hard decisions and if we see the, 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 the big companies struggling with it, obviously that's going to, to come down into these uh, Middlestand as well. Are there best practices that could be applied here? Are things that these smaller companies can learn from the bigger companies? You know, what, what, what are some of the ways that these Middlestand companies should be thinking?
0: I think that's a that's a, a question that everybody in the middle stand should actually ask themselves. So what we, what can we learn from from the big guys, right? How can we apply methodologies or technologies that they have used for several years successfully, right? And and not try to invent everything themselves. And I think first of all, digitalization is key. And then trying not to put everything into just SAP, <laughs> because that's another thing for. Top management they rely very much on on financial figures and everything and SAP is just great of in managing that but for unstructured or semi-structured business processes it's just not a tool that helps to provide business support so methodologies that work with and help you to manage great um, complexity methodologies like StageGate but also best practices from those methodologies and then technologies like software that. Is proven to help you to manage complexity in your semi-structured business processes. That can easily apply because today everything is, you know, it's it's cloud-based, it's accessible. The performance is there. A lot of things where in ISDN times uh, would would be a, a bottleneck. Uh, that's no longer existing. So the middle stand could could really adapt all the methodologies, the best practices and the technologies that the big guys are using and that they benefit from. And that's, I think they still need to learn that, but I think it's the the crisis is actually helping that. So now through COVID, where a lot of people are, are forced to work from home, the German Mittelstand has understood they need to digitize their processes. So that's I think we, we're going to see a great improvement in business processes. Wave of automation in business processes due to the COVID crisis. Isn't that? Isn't that? Well, there's a good outcome there. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. is. And I think in every crisis, any given crisis hardens something. Right? There's a benefit of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, just I know in many countries the whole idea of collaboration of the uh, ecosystem right? We're not just one company developing a set of products, but we are we have to work with other companies. Sometimes they're peers, sometimes they may even be competitors. It's this ecosystem. How's that unfolding in uh, in Germany?
0: Yeah. So first thing, it's everybody's talking about ecosystem as the world gets narrower in terms of we're working together more closely. I yesterday, Just by accident, yesterday I was in a, in a presentation with the CTO and and coo of, of europe's leading banks ing not sure if you if that rings a bell yeah. it's a big dutch bank of dutch origin you have to say and and the cto and coo he's actually a german guy worked everywhere in the world and now he's working for the ing and he's totally his, his presentation basically said we need to go from ego to eco I love it. Oh, I love it. (laughs) Yeah, that's a catchphrase, right? So we need to go from ego to eco. And and he supported that by a number of stories, how they, the ING bank, does that. But you can see it everywhere, really. It's from the, the early start of innovation to really delivering a product in a totally maybe distant market, right? with different through different distribution channels so we really need to go from ego to eco and i would support this this message yeah
1: yeah <laughs> that is fantastic i'm so glad you shared that with us well hc is there if you had to give one piece of advice about innovation to a company what would you say
0: wow well, that's a difficult question you know, as you probably have discovered by now, I like to talk a lot. <laughs> so so just giving one is but if you narrow it down to just one, I would say don't believe in ideas. Really? Yeah. Tell me more. Yeah. Tell me more. You know, I've been in this business So what I call product development or innovation, if you want from idea inception until a product is launched and then make some money on the market. What I've seen is I've seen so many people, they put their heart into something and they're completely biased about their chances of success because they have a total buy-in and they work till exhaustion for maybe no money. But if you look from the outside, and you ask just some simple questions, even if they give you all the answers that will say that their, their chances of success are below 1%, right? They will still not believe that they will fail. So the thing is, if a company does not manage the exploitational phase of their products and combines that with an explorational phase for new products, if a company can't do that, Eventually they're gonna go under. And you know, in our journey over the last 20 years, I, I mentioned Netscape in the beginning. What are they doing now? I you know, we could have mentioned like Nokia, like we've seen so many products, so many companies that that went down because they they didn't manage the exploration phase, but they also were not good at the exploitation phase. So that is probably my advice is you need to manage those two phases in your product development, and then you're deemed. for
1: success. (laughs) That was extremely insightful. Thanks for sharing that, H.C. I really, really enjoyed that answer. I I really just like to ask you one, maybe closing question, which is where do you see innovation in in five years from now?
0: Yeah. So that, of course that, changes over time. That's like revolving. But what we certainly can say that artificial intelligence eventually, after all these years, <laughs> will will provide great new stuff. So the next five years is going to be very exciting. As I said, we're going to see a, a wave of new products of business process automation, but also in innovation. I see people now innovating like hell because they need to, right? They have constraints. They're meeting in terms of they're too distant to collaborate right now, so now they need to find different solutions. But we're going to see a a wave of new stuff coming out over the next five years, and we're certainly going to see AI integrated in, in many, many products so the the ai will really contribute and it will lead us to products that we can't even imagine now right so we're gonna innovation like a couple of years they said innovation is is dead or it it was just seen as ideation gather some ideas and then see which one provides value but that's now innovation is is taking a different approach I, i see so many expert groups facilitating workshops around which methodologies apply and in which phase of the innovation. And I see so many great people working together, collaborating. And the ING bank that I mentioned earlier, right, The from ego to eco, <laughs> I'm actually a customer of that bank. And every other week they come out with something new in their app or in their web page. So that's really fantastic. You wouldn't have thought five years ago that banking can be reinvented, but they're doing it all the time. And I moved around between different banks, but they're by far the most exciting one. And they give me everything I I, I need to run all my my accounts, right? So that's that's where we're going. We're gonna see a, a wave of new stuff. That's great. It's
1: gonna be fun, huh? It's a great time to be in innovation. <laughs> yeah. It
0: is, it is very exciting, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, HCI, I can't thank you enough for joining us. I think we could talk many times, and I hope you'll come back for another episode with us.
0: Yeah, I, you know, uh, I have many topics that we could touch on, and I, of course, I'd love to share them with you, so anytime, yeah. Good, we'll
1: do it, we'll do it. Well, HC, thanks again. How can people follow you? I know you're very active out there. How can they connect with you and follow you?
0: Yeah, probably my my most apparent or the easiest way is really go on my LinkedIn profile, HC Epic. If you type that in, you you'll find me.
1: Yeah, great, great. Because yeah. I, I know you're you're active posting out there. So yeah,
0: I, I'm also you know I'm I'm also reigniting the PDMA chapter here in the DACH region and German speaking region. But I'm also I'm also in the business process management world and in other expert groups. I'm in the local. Baden-Württemberg expert group, but the easiest way is really if you go on my LinkedIn and then people can get in touch with me. And of course you're all invited. Okay. That's great.
1: Well, thanks a lot, HC and have a great day and and we'll talk to you again.
0: Yeah. Hey, thanks, Paul. Very much appreciated. Anytime. I love to share my experiences. Okay. See you. All the best.
1: All the best. Bye now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at
0: sophion.com.